Welcome back to Beyond Well. I'm Sheila Hamilton, and this is a program for people who want to learn more about our interior lives. And every week we take on a new aspect of being human. I have been so struck by some of the Workplace Institute's research about the state of people's mental health. And one of the statistics, Dr. Polo, that just really, really caught my attention was how many people feel despair in the workplace. A majority of workers, including CEOs, saying that they feel despair at least once a month. Now, I want to unpack what despair is and also try to get from you any kind of guidance that we could have about lessening these feelings of anxiety and panic. And luckily today is one of those days where I'm not wallowing in despair, but I really get it because so many people are. So, Dr. Polo, how much of people's despair has to do with events that are beyond our control? Actually, it's very interesting you would ask that because the majority of despair is usually about the things that we don't control. You know, if you think about it, as humans, we are constantly on guard to keep ourselves safe. We're constantly on guard to survive. And the way that you do that is you make sure that anything that is threatening that, you change. And so by default, we are constantly struggling to control everything around us. And I think we've gotten to the point where some people have lost sight of the fact that there's some things you you just don't control. And consequently, focusing on that and trying to worry and get all anxious about it doesn't really help. We have been talking so often on this program about the impact of 24-hour news on people's mental health. But right now, that news seems to suggest multiple failures, not only in terms of the war ongoing, but in terms of the banking collapse, a recession, the debt ceiling crisis. As a former journalist, I tune into the news for even 15 minutes now, and I can't even believe I ever worked in that industry. (laughs) I'm so glad you brought that up. I want to say, first of all, I love journalists. Journalists really are driven by the desire to kind of provide information for people help them understand the world around them and help them understand it with some accuracy. So journalists individually really have pretty high ethics about what they're trying to report on. Now, the media industry, though, is sometimes at odds with those values of individual journalists. And what do I mean by that? You know, what do the media empires really want to do? Well, they want to sell advertising. Mm -hmm. Uh, They want to have a a large listenership Mm -hmm. and they look for strategies to build and keep listenership. Okay. So why do I put it that way? So, you know, how many stories are coming at us about the woes of what's going on in the world that are horrible? And how often is it pitched in a way that you as a listener should be upset? Right. You as a listener should be shocked. And you as a listener can do something about it. And you got to keep listening to us so we can keep your attention so that you'll do something. Right. So often, so many of the things that are projected through social media are things that individually we don't control. Now, there's a nuance here. And the nuance is the following. Do we have the ability to influence things that we don't like? We all do. So I'll give you a very simple example. Let's say that you're not happy with the way policy is going in the direction related to anything that's in the media right now. Let's just choose one off the top of my head, abortion. Mm -hmm. So let's say you're not happy about it. 
you have the ability to get involved. You have the ability to advocate. You have the ability to share your opinion. You have the ability to push your view. But at the end of the day, you actually don't control the whole thing. And I think people lose sight of that. Especially, Dr. Polo, that, you know, there's a lot of research in journalism about how talk radio in particular and now the talk format shows they prey on people's kind of reptilian part of their brain to keep them coming back. So they are preying on you being angry, being so engaged that you feel as if you have to fight a tiger. And and that's fascinating to me that they that they actually are are playing on people's basest emotions and people don't realize they're being manipulated. So so that's exactly right. And I'm glad you use that word, the reptilian brain. So that's usually what we call that part of our brain that is reactive without yeah. actually thinking. And the, the media world is about grabbing your attention for something. The something that we as listeners are looking for is sometimes not the something that the projectors of media are looking for. They're misaligned. And sometimes it's the way it's reported. It's all factual, but it's out of context. Yeah. Sometimes, unfortunately, sometimes it's misrepresented. Uh, I'm not going to say that there's fake news out there, but there's news out there that's not accurate. That's right. If we get to the point, Dr. Polo, where you can say, all right, I'm really going to monitor my news consumption. I'm going to read rather than have it uh, you know, attacked at me through my ears and my eyes. What other parts of the workplace in particular are causing people to feel this kind of wholehearted despair? Okay. So remember that most of us work for companies where we, we are already imbued with the idea that there's a we and the they. There's the we workers, we're doing all the work, and there's the they people running the company that sometimes don't understand what we're doing. So there's an inherent disconnect that sometimes is very palpable in a negative way in some companies. Some companies, it's not as palpable. But the reality is, if you're working in a company, you don't control the future of that company. You don't get to decide what service you're going to provide. You don't get to decide what products you're going to make. You don't get to decide who's going to advertise it and how. You don't get to decide what markets we're going into. I mean, you're working as part of a large team that has some goals that are set by the leadership at the top. You may have the ability to influence. And if you're farther up in the leadership, you may even have some decision making, but very few of us actually have any real control. And we want control because we want to be able to direct things to turn out exactly the way we want them to turn out for us. For us, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about the things you actually can control and that which you cannot. I think it'd be interesting to, to put these into two categories. Let's first of all, look at it from the personal perspective, and then we can go back to the work perspective. So for yeah. example, we ourselves, we don't control what other people think. We don't control the past. We don't control the future. We don't control the behavior that other people do. Mm. We don't control the problems that show up in front of us. What we control is all those things that are really within the framework of what we individually can do. We control mm -hmm. how we think. Mm -hmm. We control what we like. We can control the goals that we set for ourselves. We can control how we react to things. We can control how we're going to handle a bad situation, but we don't control the, the situation itself. Right. So as humans, you have to remind yourself that we actually control a lot less than we recognize and certainly a lot less than we want. Mm. Given that there is so little we actually do have control over, how do we calm that part of our nervous system that is constantly searching for 
the answer the way I want to do it, the way we should have done it, the way that team member should have done it? The reason why that's such a good question is because the way to address it is precisely figuring out what you do control and then focusing and making efforts mm -hmm. to take charge of that part. When I'm seeing individuals in, in counseling where they're struggling with something, this always comes up. It's called the locus of control. What do you control? What do you not? How can we accept the things that you don't control? And now how can we focus on how you now can take some actions on the things that you actually do control? Mm -hmm. So it's not like I'm trying to say that people don't have any control at all. It's about recognizing where do you have control? So I'll give you a simple example. Let's say that you're the kind of individual that has a series of relationships that have fallen apart and it's disappointing and it's, it's a struggle. And sometimes folks have to learn you don't control the other people and how they relate mm -hmm. to you, but yeah. you do control who you choose to have a relationship with. Mm -hmm. And could it be that you're choosing the wrong people? Yeah. Also, when it's revealed that it was another wrong pick, how you respond to that breakup is really within your control as well. Sometimes when we figure out the parts that we do control, mm -hmm. that's where we realize we need to make some change. And sometimes yeah. that brings up a sense of deficiency. It's just the reality of what's going on. Hey, I don't handle situations of urgency very well. It's not something I do well. So when I have an urgent need that my boss wants to get done, I start getting anxious. I get worried. I don't do well. My performance goes down and I don't want to feel like I'm a failure. Mm -hmm. But the reality is that's the part I have to focus on. I can't change the fact that the boss wants something done immediately. Mm -hmm. I have to focus on, okay, how do I adapt to there's an urgent thing that needs to be done? Yeah. I want to know about the rise of people's interest in all of these conspiracy theories and ask whether it is related to that desperate need for some sort of narrative they can understand or a sense of control. Is there a link between the rising number of people who believe in conspiracy theories and that? I do think there's a link. And this is an area that creates a lot of emotion in people. There are some people that have, you know, very strong beliefs about something that you and I would refer to as a, a theory, potentially a conspiracy theory that makes no sense. Hey, the government wants us all to be controlled by our phones. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so they're using ways to extract information uh, because they're out to do something against us. Okay. Conspiracy theories on the individual side from the person come from fear. I, I would say beliefs that are based on emotion, not on fact. And unfortunately, sometimes what happens is when people have those beliefs, they then go looking for all the little things that support this irrational belief. And their belief becomes even stronger. Their sense of a theory of somebody trying to do something, somebody trying to take advantage of me is real. And if you think about it, the idea that somebody else is trying to do something, somebody else is trying to take advantage is really about somebody else trying to control me. I can't control what I want to happen because of this conspiracy that's going on behind the green curtain. Right. Do you see that in the companies that you are talking with in terms of there are three barometers I always pay attention to the trust index, which is at its lowest rate since Gallup has actually been monitoring it both for government, media and religion, the hopefulness index, which is also at its lowest. And then conversely, this 
conspiracy theory thing that seems to suggest that people are trying to find something they can blame for all of the rest of the ills that are going on. You know, and I wonder if social media, the advancement of technology, as well as the pandemic and the fact that we are all working for home accentuated this because you started first with trust. Trust is critical. Trust is a relationship between two people where you feel like their intent is not at odds with yours. Right. You don't have to agree on everything, but you can trust that they're going to be upfront about whatever it is that they believe. They're not trying to take advantage of you. You can rely on the relationship to be real. Social media before the pandemic has created all kinds of challenges on how we develop relationships of trust. Mm. People put things on media that are false about themselves. They try to create a persona or they're trying to attack other people. So it's about a different way of relating that has actually created relationships of lower trust. And now think about the pandemic. We went from working in person where you could see people both in the moment when you're doing work, as well as by the water cooler when you were just chatting about the weekend. And there's something about being important that really helps create that strong bond of trust. Now, when you're in a company working with a lot of people that you don't have trust for, you start thinking about all kinds of things that may not be rational. Oh, gee, they want my job. Oh, gee, they're trying to pay me less. Oh, gee, they're trying to take advantage of me. And you start trying to come up with these things that make sense out of not having trust. Hopefulness is the other side. Hopefulness is the idea that you can wish for what's going to be good because it's the right thing and that other people have good intent. We always hope for those things that are going to bring us some kind of joy. And the problem is sometimes that's at odds with somebody else's joy. Yeah, right. Yeah, because your CEO likes making their shareholders happy. They don't really care so much about your joy. (laughs) Exactly. And and here's the funny thing. I've never talked to a CEO that didn't care about their people. Mm -hmm. But I've talked to many people that believe the CEO doesn't care about them at all. Yeah. And I've talked to many CEOs that clearly want to have a strong bottom line, but a strong bottom line helps all of their employees as well. We tend to look for those things that make us feel good and the things that aren't making us feel good. We immediately start to question and we have to come up with ways to make it make sense. I love how you have tied in what's happening, I think, with the rise of conspiracy theory at the same time that people are feeling this panic in their workplace. And I'm wondering whether or not you have ever prescribed a way back for people to restore their hope. Do you say, look, here are some things you can think about to begin trusting one another again, trusting in ourselves again? This is a very difficult It's a very difficult concept when you're thinking about groups of people versus when you're thinking about individuals. And let me tell you why I say it that way. I I don't really want to give a voice to any conspiracies right now. And I don't want to really talk about any specific, you know, issues that would create a sense of uncomfortableness for our, our listeners. But when people do believe in something that we call a conspiracy theory, one of the first things they do is they tend to start isolating themselves with other people that believe the exact same. And everything in their world now starts really re-emphasizing the same thing over and over and over again. I'll, I'll touch on one really broad issue with hopefully not upsetting anybody. You know, there's been lots of talk about the last presidential election. 
uh, there's a lot of people that believe that, you know, somehow our elections were fraudulent or, or, or false or the votes weren't done correctly or whatever. And it's been proven repeatedly mm-hmm. that our elections are the best in the world in terms of being democratic, supervised and accurate. And yet there's still people that not only believe that they're not, but they're way at the other edge of believing that it was so fraudulent and there's no fact behind it. And so it's really hard to understand, well, why would people look at facts and still believe something that doesn't really make sense? That's the nature of how we think about things in terms of control. Because if you really think about it, when it comes to the presidential election, the belief is really based on wanting to have control on what the outcome would have been. And no one voter has control of the outcome. That's exactly right. It's almost like the more you care about an issue, the greater risk you stand of being captivated into one of those conspiracy theories. And we're going through a time in our societal change, societal transformation, where a lot of folks are imbued with the idea that they can believe whatever they want to believe and it should be okay, even if it's at odds with what other people believe. And I actually fear that in that drive to be in control, in that drive to have it your way, Mm -hmm. I want it all my way. We're forgetting that we live in communities where we all have to be together. Right. I don't know any community of people. I don't know any family. I don't know any schoolroom. I don't, I don't know any work environment where everybody thinks exactly the same. Right. And, and so also you always there, have to yeah. modulate. What I was going to say is you always have to modulate what it is that you believe in what you want with the fact that other people sometimes don't believe the same thing and don't want the same thing. I also just think it's fascinating that there's a lot of credence put on the idea that we can tear something down, that things should be thrown out, that, that institutions and all of this. But- those people never talk about how hard it is to build, how hard it is to create, what it's like to win cohesion. I mean, that's the only way that it works is this hard, really durable idea that we can build and sustain something. Yes. You know, if you think about it, what you're really talking about to build community so that everybody can benefit from it, you have to have the ability to compromise. Yeah. What I'm talking about goes back to what we've been kind of alluding to here is what is it that I want versus what it is that the community actually needs? Mm. Because if everybody got exactly what they wanted, we would go nowhere as a community. That's such a powerful place to end on. And I'm honestly hoping it gives people just a little tweak in their thinking about when they go in and they have this attitude of despair in the workplace, or they're talking about how wrong things are, what it actually takes to sustain something, to build something that lasts. It's an enormous undertaking. I hope we're ready for it. If we're going to tear it down, I'm certainly hoping we're all there for the community building back. I will share one thing with you. I'm hoping that other folks will think about this. We live in a time right now that's very divisive. We live in a time right now where there's a lot of uncertainty. Uh, We certainly live in a time right now where there's a lot of fear of of economic challenges. I choose to control being optimistic. I'll look for the good in things and I look for those things that I can be thankful for, recognizing that all the other things that I don't necessarily like or don't really want to see, I can't worry about those things. Mm -hmm. I can't be that pessimist. Yeah, you know, you provide these tips without even knowing it. 
it's kind of like a template for living better. Dr. Polo, thank you so much. <laughs> it's always so great to talk with you.